Well, welcome this Saturday night. It's good to see you, and it's actually good to be back, because like Amanda, I was in the DR last week, or like she said, the week before that, in the village of La Guasara, and, and I want to thank you guys uh, for two reasons. One, for your prayers, because this was one of the best trips we've ever had. I mean, the team was phenomenal that went, but I mean, just everything from the weather to the interactions we had, it, you could tell it was soaked in prayer. So thank you for your prayers. And then secondly, also, thank you for your generosity. We've talked a lot recently about missions giving, and it's when you go on these trips that you actually realize, oh, this is going to something really significant. Uh, we, we go there, and every time we go, we're building latrines. Maybe you saw the picture where they were laying bricks for these homes, where otherwise they have nowhere to go. And then we also got to see this trip, the water filtration system that was built uh, just a few months ago that we paid for as a church. We didn't get to build it, but we were able to fund it through our generous giving, and, and that greatly affects the community and the drinking water that they can have. And then even just this trip, talking to these farmers, it's been rough, like, Pray for rain. They need rain because when their crops are bad, it's hard for them to support their families. And that irrigation system that we're raising money for now, that's really, really going to richly bless this community because it's agriculture. These people are farmers. And when it doesn't rain, it's rough for them to support their families. So thank you for your generosity because that goes with us. And, and you guys might not be able to see it, but it's having an impact. And maybe you're like, I'll never be able to go, but I still want to be a part. We actually, uh, on these trips, we, we build latrines. We do Bible school for the kids, uh, and we do house visits. In the States, you might not have some successful house visits if you just knocked on some people's houses and were like, hey, can we come in and talk? Right? Those are the kind of instances where you're like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> but there, they see you, they know you're in the village, it's a small village, and they, and they love to sit down with you, pull out a chair and talk. We're able to ask them, hey, how can we pray for you? And what's great is, is so often they say they're praying for us, which is phenomenal that we'd come back soon. But we actually put these together. So if you're saying, man, I may never be able to go, but I want to play a part. This is just a little pamphlet with all the prayer requests we got from each home. Um, so if you're looking through that, you might not recognize the names, but these are the people we visited and, and the, the prayers they, they're asking for us to pray for. So, again, you may never be able to send uh, anybody in your family there, but we can send our prayers. So those are out at the info center if you want to grab one on your way out. But this is the season for mission trips, cruises, uh, vacations, right? Because it's summer break and we as families can take advantage of time off to go on trips with our families. And uh, with my background, my dad was pretty blue collar. He built houses. He was a carpenter. So vacation for us never really meant cruises or resorts. Usually vacation for us is all six of us would pile in our Dodge Caravan was navy blue and peeling, and we would hop in there and drive maybe 16 hours to Chicago to see my grandmother and grandfather there, or 20 hours down to Naples, Florida to visit my grandmother there. That was vacation for us. So this was the 90s. So my dad wouldn't have the Maps app, wouldn't have MapQuest, no, he'd have an actual map. Like, that might blow some of your minds, but we were pirates back then. We actually worked with functional, physical maps. And when you open it up, it would cover the entire dashboard, and it could block your view. But my dad was the, 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 the master of the map. And my mom would pack up a cooler because she wasn't trying to feed us fast food. We'd have, like, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. She'd make sure we ate well. Right? And then for me, my focus was we need the Discman, right, the, the portable CD player and about 20 pounds worth of CDs. And uh, I could tell you the game changer. Some of you probably remember this when they came with the skip protection. Because without the skip protection, you hit one bump on the highway and your music skips. But the skip protection, it was mind-blowing, the technology back then. Or you could play it through your tape deck and charge it through the cigarette charger, cigarette lighter. And uh, so that was, that was vacation for us. We're talking National Lampoon, Dumb and Dumber type trips where you're going far. Maybe without some of the escapades and catastrophes. But uh, anybody else, was this vacation for you as a kid? 
pile in a car and drive far distances with your family, road trips. <laughs> and uh, anybody doing a, a trip this summer or you've been on a trip where you went far, where are you headed? Alabama, right? Yes, well, anybody, anybody beating that in terms of distance? Going to Maine? I don't know what wins. How many hours is each of those? 14? How long is it for y'all? <laughs> I'll get you later. This is for your trip to Maine. It's a Wawa gift card because we're in this series about road trips. Use it on gas to fill your tank. Use it on food to fill your stomach. But uh, we'll be handing those out all summer um, because we're doing traveling as a church. And, and some churches talk about it as like the summer low because people are traveling. I see it as reloading. We're a church full of families. We love your families. And when you go rest, you can come back strengthened and energized. And if you come back strengthened and energized, that means the church is going to be strengthened and energized. So, no, I'm praying for you guys. If you take off for a vacation, Steph and I are going the end of September. It's an important time to unplug and plug into God and really just sow into your family, your marriages. And I, I celebrate you guys as you do that. But I wanted to have this series because I want us to have some imagery to take with us. As maybe we go on these trips, or maybe you're not even going on trips, but we all drive daily. We go from point A to point B. And the point I want to drive home, and I've mentioned this before, Eugene Peterson has a book called Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Actually borrows that quote from a philosopher. But he talks about how the faith journey is just that. It's a journey. It's a road trip. It's a long haul down a long road. It's a commitment to long obedience in the same direction. And I mention this, and I think it's important to hold on to this imagery because so often I think we can think of our salvation as positional. And that's important, right? We're under the blood. We're in right standing before God. We've been justified through the cross. Praise Jesus for that. It's what we celebrated through communion. But we're not just called to position ourselves. We're also called to progress and a process of transformation. And that's what you would call sanctification, looking more like Jesus Christ daily as we live and move and have our being. And it's, it's important because I've talked to people and they're like, I've prayed the prayer. I've given my life to Christ. I've been following him. Why am I still a mess? And it's just a reminder, yes, it's, it's already but not yet. We've been justified, but none of us are perfect. We're all still working out the kinks. We're all trying to look like Jesus daily. And it's going to be like that until we meet him. This is process of sanctification. Eugene Peterson says in the book, everything in the gospel is livable. And my task was to get it lived. And he said, this was going to take some time, so I settled in for the long haul. Again, it's a long haul. It's a journey. And there may not be any change in geography. <clears throat> Again, Amanda was saying, we visited these people in La Guasara, And a lot of these people born, raised, they're going to die there. They don't, they don't leave very often. Like, this is where they are. But they, too, are called on a journey. Because you might not change zip codes, but you're called to grow spiritually and go on a journey spiritually. And we're going to talk about that tonight. And it's not a sprint. It's not measured with a stopwatch. Measured by your entire life as you're sanctified to look more like Christ. You know, every great story involves some kind of quest. It sounds cliche, but our Christian walk is the same way. The image of the Christian life as a journey, it captures our experience of following Christ. Because in life, you're going to navigate mountains. You're going to navigate valleys. There's going to be journeys that involve momentum. There's going to be ruts. There's going to be action, stops, starts detours, delays, trips on unknown roads that you have to walk by faith. G.K. Chesterton once said, an adventure is by its nature a thing that comes to us. It is a thing that chooses us, not a thing that we choose. That was Jesus, right, with his disciples. They weren't looking for Jesus, but he found them, he chose them, and he called them to follow him. He said, follow me. 
we have a similar choice. We can settle for what we know and what we're familiar with, or we can follow Christ on the path he has for us. And with that path, again, comes stops and starts and detours and peaks and valleys and proverbial flat tires. And often, I find in my life, or I found in my life, I would avoid all of that by just sticking with the familiar, what's comfortable. And I think sometimes I figure if I can live a quieter life, I'll be better off. So I, I'll be less involved. I'll retreat, kind of hunker down and worry about me, my family, or me, myself, and I. We figure that's the safe route. But in light of God's purposes for us, in light of eternity, that's not just the safe route, it's the small route. You know, your comfort zone doesn't just keep you safe. So often it keeps us small. And each one of us has a destiny, a purpose, and a calling on our life that God wants to call out of us as we follow him. Again, Jesus famously invited his disciples with these words, follow me. If you look in the Old Testament, especially the prophets, God gives invitations throughout the Old Testament that are similar. Here's two verses that both start with, this is what the Lord says. It says in the book of Isaiah, this is what the Lord says, I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is good for you and leads you along the paths you should follow. Jeremiah, in the book of Jeremiah, it says, this is what the Lord says. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. See, God has provided for each one of us pathways to his promises, his peace, and his purposes for his people. And each week this summer, we'll look at a story from Scripture of God's people on the road he had them on or the path they had them on and what that can teach us as we follow Jesus Christ, principles for our pathway as we walk it and follow him. And it's not my focus tonight, but for my money, the road trip in Scripture that probably challenges me the most personally is Abraham. Right? When we first meet Abraham, he, he, he encounters God, not this God he'd been worshiping for years, but for the first time. And the first thing God says to him is basically leave everything you know and go hit the road. You imagine the people like, where are you going? I don't know. <laughs> You're leaving everything you know to go where? I don't know. God, who's God? I don't really know yet. I just encountered him, right? And he does all this. I, I think, man, would I have been able to walk in faith like that? That's why Abraham is heralded again and again in Scripture because that, that challenges me on so many levels. I would have been going to a shrink to make sure I'm not hearing voices, right? Like, because I, I can't do that. But then you fast forward through the book of Genesis, Abraham's grandson Jacob during a famine basically moves to Egypt to get groceries, right? And they hang out there for a few hundred years and they grow and grow and Egypt enslaves them. And finally after 400 years in Egypt, the Israelites, God's chosen people, are leaving Egypt and they're going to the promised land. And that's where I want to look at tonight, this pathway that they took to the promised land. And it's remarkable because leaving Egypt and going to the promised land it was a 240-mile journey. Maybe that sounds like a lot, but you could do that walking in under two weeks. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 2, it says, It is 11 days' journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir to Kabesh Barnea. But it took them how long? 40 years. Like, what happened? Did they have the Maps app open and it said, you know, avoid tolls, and they just chose the worst route possible? How, do you, how does it take you 40 years to take what should take Two weeks. And we see that they were stuck going in circles. Because when they first got to the promised land, they didn't have the faith to step in and take it and fight the battles that God was calling them to fight and the steps of faith that God was calling them to take. So they went back out into the wilderness. And for 40 years, they basically went in circles out in the wilderness. They'd camp here, pick up camp, go here. But 
going in circles. And I share this because I also shared this recently, but people in here, we've been following Christ for different lengths of time. Maybe it's 10 years, 5 years, 20 years, 40 years. But some of us, we don't have a 10-year faith. We have a, a one-year faith that we've lived over and over and over and over again because we're just going in circles spiritually. We're not striking the path to maturity that God is calling us to. Because you know time, the passing of time isn't always indicative of progress. Motion isn't always indicative of progress. Some of us get stuck in a rut, wandering in circles. The same broken habits, the same stumbling blocks. Or maybe it's that we're never stepping into the starting blocks, like the Israelites at the border of the promised land. God's calling us to take bold steps or, or, or step into this new season, and we're hesitant because we're familiar with this over here. We're comfortable over here. So we get stuck in a spiritual version of Groundhog's Day. <laughs> this year, the same as last year, and our growth stays stunted. Again, it's why we, it's important we distinguish between justification and sanctification because there might be some stuff in your life it's not necessarily going to keep you out of eternity in heaven, but it's going to keep you from maturity in this life, the maturity that God calls us to, the Christ-likeness we're supposed to carry as we go about our lives. And so to, to take that step towards maturity, we have to apply what I would call the first road rule we'll look at tonight, and that's break the circuit. And I'm not talking about electricity. I'm talking about races. My brother was a, an amazing road cyclist. He was like Lance Armstrong without the PEDs. <laughs> he got a full ride to college because he just rode a bike and he was good at it, which was pretty remarkable to me because I had to pay and pay that off for years. But he biked really fast and he got to go to college for free because he was good at it. And I loved going to his races. And there were different, two different kinds of races. There's the point-to-point the -point race where if I'm watching him, I'll probably just go to the finish line and I'll see him once when he's crossing the finish line. But then there's also what's called a circuit. Just, just think NASCAR, laps over and over again, where you might stay in the same place and see him pass dozens of times because they're just going in circles. And I share all that because Hebrews 12 talks about how we're called to run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. But this race we're called to isn't a race that just goes in circles. We're called to go from a point A to a point B. In Deuteronomy, a chapter after the verse we just read, it's God speaking through Moses to the Israelites. He says, you have circled this mountain long enough. Now turn north. Basically what he's saying is break this circuit. Stop making circles and make your way to the promised land again. And again, our progress and our journey in our life, it might not be geographic. It might not be moving zip code to zip code. But we're all called to spiritual movement to maturity. We're all called to maturity. And thank goodness, right? My point A was I was a 21-year-old senior at the College of William and Mary when I first started following Christ. And I look back and I cringe at, like, my behavior at 21. And if you got saved at 16 or maybe 13 or 6, maybe it's twice as bad for you. You know, praise God, we grow up. And the same way we would expect that we're going to grow physically, there's an expectation that, hey, you're going to grow spiritually. You're going to mature. I want to turn tonight to it's Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through chapter 6, verse 3. And I want to read this passage because it speaks to what we're talking about. And the author of Hebrews says, we have much to say about this. But it's hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. 
He says, anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. He goes on to say, therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about baptism, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, and God permitting, we will do so. What he's not saying is so much we're going to let go of the gospel, we're going to let go of the work of Jesus Christ, but hey, he's saying grow up, right? Work towards maturity and looking more like Christ. You should be teaching people by this point, but you're still being spoon-fed. He's directly confronting this problem of spiritual immaturity. These people that have been stuck in a circuit going in circles spiritually. Why? Because they've been surviving on a minimalist Christianity rather than stepping into the maturity he called them to. To pull from Deuteronomy's imagery, the author is basically saying, look, you guys have circled this mountain long enough. Break the circuit, get moving, and get growing. But that leads us to a second road rule, which is if you break the circuit and you're going to start a point A to point B journey, you have to know what point B is. You have to know your destination. My dad always knew the destination. He always had the map, and it sounds simple. But if you don't know where you're going, you'll end up going in circles. We're talking about roads, pathways, and trails, and there was a naturalist and writer, Ernest Ingersoll, who defined a trail as a happy promise to the anxious heart that you are going somewhere and not aimlessly wandering in a circle. Think about movies, horror movies, suspense, where they're lost in the wilderness, and they pick up these, these tracks, and they're thinking, yeah, we're going somewhere now. And then they realize, oh, these are our tracks. We've been going in circles for days, months, whatever, hours, and all of a sudden there's this despair that sets in when they realize we've been going in circles. And that's not just a, a common trope in entertainment. That's reality. A study in 2009 was done of groups of people in the wilderness, just dropped out in the middle of the wilderness, like one of those Discovery Channel shows. And they were told to do the best straight line you can. There was a group that was in the, the, the forest of Germany. There was another group in the Sahara. I'd probably pick the forests. <laughs> but uh, they were told to, hey, do as best you can, go in a straight line. And some people were able to use the sun and moon. Some people weren't that wise. But when it was cloudy, when they didn't have that to work from, they naturally had a curve. They naturally would end up going, if they went long enough, in a circle. There's all kinds of theories why. Some people are like, well, one leg is stronger than the other, so you end up going in a curve. I don't know. There's actually one biologist who argues that circling is one of the general laws of biology. It's not a form of error. He argues that it, it assures lost animals will always be able to find their way back to home and something familiar. Whether we like it or not, he argued, we circle to find our way back to familiar ground. But regardless of what our inclination is biologically, we know spiritually that's problematic. Because we're not called to stick with what's been familiar, God calls us to walk by faith. And he calls us not to live in a circle, in a circuit, but to progress from point A to point B. So we have to know our destination. And if I was going to define point B for us as followers of Jesus Christ, I'd define it as to be like Christ in this life and to be with him in the next. To be like Christ in this life and to be with him in the next. Again, your point A is where you started, but that's point B. That's our goal. And when you talk about being with him in the next, that speaks to the hope of heaven. Uh, Steph isn't here tonight because Raj is sick, so I can talk about her. Uh, when she reads books, she likes to go to the end to check the ending. She was scarred by 
uh, an old series that was written for, for teenagers, Divergent. I don't think they're making the last movie because it did so poorly, so I can ruin it for y'all. At the end of these three books, the lead role, this, this girl that she had been emotionally vested in, the main character dies. And for Steph, that's like bottom line. If, if a movie, the main character dies, it doesn't matter how good the story was, it's a terrible movie. It's a terrible book. So she always checks the ending first because for her, a story is only as good as the ending. Now, I'm an English major. I can't subscribe to that. I read cover to cover, right? I, I've been trained and it's been drilled into me that you, you don't do that. That's ridiculous. But I, I see the reasoning because it allows you to enjoy the journey without dreading what might be ahead. And in life, when you can anticipate some goodness that's ahead, we can have the heart and hope needed for the journey. Otherwise, especially in life, it just becomes a, a rat race, an endless struggle, and for what? You think, is, is this as good as it gets? Right? Is this all there is? But I love Colossians chapter 1, verse 5, where it says, faith and love spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven. There's a hope for the heaven to come. And think about it. If you take away the hope of heaven, essentially our path in this life is nothing but a drawn-out death march. Maybe that's a little morbid, but that would be reality without heaven. If we believe this life is our one shot at happiness, we'll live desperate and demanding, and eventually we'll live despaired and depressed. But our path doesn't end here. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it says that God has put eternity in the hearts of man. So when we try to fill the eternity-sized void that God has put in us with the things of this world, sure, it might fill it for a little bit, but nothing is eternal, right? The world and everything in it passes away. It's a weight that the world was never meant to bear, and as a result, God's promises can be replaced by this, this pressure we feel that the world wasn't meant to deliver on. And when it doesn't deliver again and again, the whispers of the enemy and the lies of the enemy are, well, things will never change. It's always going to be like this. And he uses this deception to keep us frozen where we are in the present, stuck in a rut, moving in circles. Because if everything is going to remain the same, then we remain the same. So often in our, our culture, authenticity is, well, this is who I am. All right? This is who I am. I'm keeping it real. But when you realize that, no, God calls us to new things and sanctification for us as believers, this should be, not this is who I am, but this is where I'm at, right? This is me being authentic and honest, but realizing that God is calling us to progress and mature. We must renew our vision for what's ahead, the point B that Jesus has for us. Jesus doesn't say things are going to remain the same. He actually says, I make all things new. And he says that when he goes to heaven, he prepares a place for us. You know, faith is, is looking back at Jesus' empty grave and the cross and finding courage. But so often, hope looks ahead to Jesus' promises, and that's what gives us the fuel to keep going and pressing on regardless of seasons. Because seasons can get ugly, but when you have the hope of heaven, you can press onward. In all things, we keep our eyes on Jesus. Hebrews 12, where it talks about, you know, set out and run this race with endurance that, that God has given us. It, it talks about keeping your eyes on Jesus. That's the game changer in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, where it says, let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. For the joy set before him in the message version, it's translated that exhilarating finish in and with God. And I think if we're honest, sometimes when we think of heaven, it's not exhilarating, 
We think of like chubby cherubs from Renaissance paintings and tamed lions. And you know, like kids will ask you in youth ministry, like, are we really going to sing into eternity? Like, we're just going to sing? It's going to be an eternal sing-along? Like, is that what it is? Or you might say, well, it's eternal rest. That sounds like a cemetery, right? Like, and sometimes I think low-key we think it's probably better here than in heaven. And it just speaks to the deception of the enemy. And it really speaks to our failure of imagination. I heard somebody say once, you know, like the same way, I'm going to butcher it. Hate isn't the opposite of love, but yes, basically not caring is. He said the opposite of faith isn't doubt, it's dullness. This failure of imagination, this failure of the hope that we have. Because what will it be like? It says in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, no eye has seen, no ear has ever heard. God's imagination, his thoughts are higher than your thoughts. It's going to be better than whatever you could cook up in your thought life. These longings for intimacy, beauty, and adventure that seem insatiable and impossible in this life, they're put in us because they're going to be satiated in heaven. They're going to find their fulfillment in God. You know the, the classic work, Pilgrim's Progress. It begins as a man, he's, he longs for eternal life. He knows that to stay where he is would mean unfulfilled desires and ultimately death. With no greater sense of direction than the knowledge he needs to find the road to Celestial City, sounds a lot like Abraham. He just sets out. He rejects the comforts of his smaller story and the comforts of life, and he, he says, I'm going to find the Celestial City. And as he's leaving, it says his friends, his family, everybody came out trying to threaten him and give him all the excuses to stay. And it says, it says that the man put his fingers in his ears and ran on crying, life, life, eternal life. This man becomes the pilgrim, and his journey is meant to parallel our journey as believers, this road we're called to, to look like Christ in this life and be with him in the next. We too are called to journey onward to the life and life abundant that Jesus promises. But too often I think we're like another literary figure, Robinson Crusoe. Right? He hunkered down. He was a survivor, not a pilgrim. Right? He lived a small life because, <laughs> to his credit, he was trying to survive. He was wrecked. He needed rescue. But we're not called to live like that because we've been rescued. Right? Jesus sets us free to follow him so we don't have to hunker down to survive. We're called to follow him. The same invitation he gave the disciples, follow me, he gives us. That indicates the journey he's calling us on. So we don't just sit on our couch and wait for the hope of heaven. Nor are we called to complacency but to transformation, looking more like Jesus in this life. And maybe you say, okay, all this sounds good, but how, right? How do I just begin to look like Jesus and flip a switch? How do I just step forward in this process of sanctification? And I will point to what we talk about here at City Life is the 12 pathways. Really, it's just 12 practices, 12 disciplines that we pull from Scripture. You know, churches have discipleship models that if you're following Jesus, you'll walk these 12 pathways. And as you walk these 12 pathways, there's five great growth lists in Scripture that list 24 virtues. And those virtues will be formed in your life. If you've never heard any of that before, Grab one of these books on the way out at the info center. Pastor Fred, our, our pastor in Newport News, breaks it down. Just the Bible's call to grow and how we do it through walking in these ways and growing in virtue and looking more like Jesus. I'd encourage you, free, just go out and grab one. You brought somebody in tonight with you, they're visiting, grab one of those books from the info center. They're yours. Take them home and read them. They're short. It's one of those books you can read in one sitting and feel real accomplished. All right? I love those books. But those are the pathways. But in the limited time we have left, I want to look at reaching which is really just another word for evangelism. This call to share the good news, share the hope we have, share the gospel. Because we aren't called to a solo journey. We talked about this the last time I preached before the DR. We're going to dig into it a little more next week as we talk about life together and accountability. 
as we strike out on our path and as we strike out to follow Christ, we should, as we walk this road following him, not forget Romans road. What's Romans road? It's, it's a grouping of verses from the book of Romans that lay out the road to salvation in Jesus. It paints a quick but powerful picture of the gospel. And these are the four main ones, but honestly, I would start in Romans 1, where it says God created everything for his glory. But then we see the, the, the problem in Romans 3.23 is all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're not just people who make mistakes that need correction. We're sinners that need salvation. It's a big difference, and it's a bigger problem. The peril is this, Romans 6.23, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. Then we've got the provision. Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. And then so, it's so important when we share the good news and share the gospel, the last step is, is what is our heart's response? We're not called to just hear it and continue the way we were going. We're called to repentance, which simply means to turn. It's our response. And it says in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Maybe you've heard this a hundred times. <laughs> maybe you grew up on this and memorized it as a kid, or maybe you've never heard of it before. That's just so useful to be familiar. You know, I, I remember I was talking to Nate. There was somebody from the old campus who called him up and was like, Nate, I want to give my life to God. And Nate just went over there, walking through Romans Road, and transformed his life. Not because of the words, but because of the Holy Spirit. Romans 1.16 says, you know, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of salvation for all who believe. And it's important, it says Jews and Gentiles. Romans also highlights that it's for many people. You look at Romans 1.16, Romans 2, 9 through 11, Romans 3, 9, Romans 10, 12. Again and again it says this isn't just for the Jews, it's for the Gentiles. Saying it's not just for me, it's for a we. It's not just for us, it's for them. That's why, again, we should have this memorized as we follow Christ because we aren't just called to be en route to heaven. We're called to be on mission here on earth. Again, we talk about the vision here at the church to encounter God's presence, embrace his family, and engage his mission. We're not called to just be en route to heaven, but to be on mission here on earth. Because we, we talked about how Jesus said to the disciples, hey, follow me. But he didn't stop there. He said, follow me in what? I'll make you fishers of men. Right? We aren't just ushered on a Roman's road and the path of salvation for ourselves. We're called to be ushers that extend that invitation to the people God places around us. So this summer, as we experience random trips and vacations and different events and sporting events, or going to the pool and we encounter new people and we have conversations, may we remember the complete call of Jesus Christ to follow him and to reach those around us. Be fishers of men. And personally, may we break the circuit. If I could have the, the worship team come up, I want to go back and sing uh, No Longer Slaves. But may we break the circuit. You know, I'm going to be up here while we're worshiping. We're going to have people in the back that will pray for you. But maybe we just need to get rid of old stumbling blocks. Maybe there's that habit that we haven't been able to kick. And we know it's holding us back, but we, we can't figure out how. Come on, the Holy Spirit wants to do a work tonight so we don't have to go back to the same stumbling blocks. Or maybe for you. It's the starting block. You know God's calling you to take a bold step. You know he's calling you to have that conversation, pursue that career. I don't know what it might be for you, but it's big. And you're just nervous about getting in those starting blocks and taking that step and taking the step God is calling you to. Maybe you just need somebody to come beside you in prayer. If either of those two areas are speaking to you, then 
Come on, tonight as we worship, let's pray together. Again, the Nowatneys are back there in the back. I'll be up here in front. But then also, if you're here tonight, you, you, you see Romans Road, and you're like, I've, I've, never, I've never proclaimed Jesus be Lord. Jesus, I want to step into the grace that you showed on the cross, that while I was still a sinner, you died for me. And if that's you tonight, then again, we would love to pray for you. So we're going to close tonight with 10 or more minutes of just worship, prayer. But if we could stand, I just want to close with Paul's thoughts in Philippians 3, verses 13 through 15. Because Paul was all about realizing he was in it for the long haul and he wanted to finish strong. He said, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Even Paul wrote all these books in the Bible. He's like, I haven't found perfection. I'm still being sanctified. I'm still looking more like Christ. He says, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press onward toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And God, tonight I pray that you would give us that path to maturity. Give us that view, Lord God. Show us your paths, and may we have the heart and perseverance to walk in them, and the boldness to walk in them. And may we break the circuit you're calling us to break. God, remove those stumbling blocks, and for those of us that you're calling into moments that are going to take courage, and moments that are going to take boldness, moments that are going to take faith, God, I pray that you would give us the faith to take those steps. God, I pray that your spirit, God, as it's been here, would rest here as we worship you to close tonight. Fill us tonight. Let us be like the church in Acts where your spirit came upon them and instead it gave them boldness, Lord God. God, we want to take each step that you're calling us to. God, help us to live lives that are long obedience in the same direction and that every day when we put our head to the pillow, we'll look more like you than we did that morning. And God, it's not through us trying harder, but it's through us leaning harder into your word, into your spirit, Lord God. So we do that now in worship as we pursue you and praise you in Jesus' name.